Welcome to So Damn Curious, the podcast where curiosity leads the conversation. I'm your host, Dave Moss, a lifelong learner, explorer, and seeker of the stories that shape us. On each episode, I interview the innovators, the dreamers, and the creators from all corners of my ever-expanding world, and together we uncover the curiosities that have crafted their journeys, the questions that propel them forward, and the discoveries that define their paths. So whether you're here to find inspiration, ignite your own curiosity, or simply enjoy stories of passion and perseverance, you're in the right place. Let's dive into the minds of those who dare to ask, what if, and why not? and see where their curiosity has led them. Get ready to be inspired, to challenge your own boundaries, and to see the world through a lens of endless curiosity. Hey, Jake, how's it going? Hi, Dave, how are you? <laughs> I always find podcast like starts so interesting yeah. because everybody knows that you've been talking for a couple of minutes before you actually hit record. But, no, no, you know, no, we haven't. No, 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 no that <laughs> jumped in here and hit record. Just in like, and hit record let's go. Live. Well, I did do that to you so I could do a test record right yeah, away. Yeah, that scared and, me. And you had a, a mild panic, but I almost <laughs> dove out of the chair. Yeah. So I wanted to start this off. Uh, I had sent you a couple of questions beforehand, um, just to sort of get your brain thinking. And like the keener you are, you uh, you actually sent me answers back, so it gives me ammunition to get going from the side um, of a highway because I, <laughs> I had a schedule. Yeah, um, and. You had uh, one of the questions that I asked you is, is about a favorite failure. And you said something interesting where you don't consider anything a failure, which I love because um, a lot of people do. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you view failure? And I know this is a weird place to, to, to jump in for anybody who has no idea who you are, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting perspective. What's the best way to put it? I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's, Maybe because I've never felt I've ever had some epic failure. Like, in life, right, like, sometimes shit goes wrong. That's just the way it goes. And I think it leads into a lot of other areas where, you know, I don't really dwell on the past that much. You know, the past is there to to teach you stuff or or give you insight on things. But sitting there and dwelling on it, you're never going to change anything. Um, So, I mean, of course, there's been points in life where things have gone wrong or it didn't go as planned. But... I think my, my, my wife, Jess would definitely agree with like, it's every day is you start afresh, you wake up in the morning and it's, let's see where today goes. You know, we always wake up with plans. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or the, the, the honeydew list, any of that stuff, but it's kind of all choose your own adventure at all times. You know, you might have a plan, but then something comes up and you can't do it. Does it destroy your life or do you just kind of adapt and, and, and keep moving along? So so I don't think there's there's been any points in my life where I felt that it's just, that's it. Walk away, shut it down. Like there's never been that pour the gasoline on the, on whatever it is, throw the match and walk away. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's yeah, kind of the reason why I asked the question. Cause I, I also, in my later years, definitely not when I was younger, don't really believe in the concept of failure at, at least in, in in terms of like personal growth business growth you know things yeah. like that because i was reading um a book um by adam savage the uh, the mythbusters guy um every tool is show. a hammer yeah, i miss that show too uh, but he talks in that book about failure being iterative and it was like it, it was the first time in words I, it, I like, oh, this is exactly how I feel about failure. But I never, was never able to put it down before. But it's like mm. it's a branch decision, right? Like you get to a quote unquote failure, but it's not a stopping point. It's like, OK, well, now I adjust and go this way or yeah. I don't adjust and keep riding into the storm and, and see how it goes. 
I think it's one of those things, too. I've never really had a plan. Like, coming out of high school, I graduated, and then I'm like, well, I don't know what I want to do. So took the year off, ended up getting a cushy little, like, summer government job at the Manitoba Textbook Bureau, bureau where basically I just sorted orders into filing cabinets and got like $15 an hour in the year 2000, which was pretty damn fantastic considering I was living at home. Um, and I mean, like, like all things in life there, there was a girl that I knew from my past and, and she was taking this course and told me about it. And I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. It, it was going into, into media production and with the potential of working in television and stuff like that. And through my teenage years, uh, being a, being a preacher's kid, I always kind of I always had to go to church till I was 18. So I had to figure out ways to make that more accommodating to myself. So it would be either, you know, teaching Sunday school to nursery kids where we would just paint and draw stuff or uh, volunteering for the for the local cable company and, and recording the services and putting those to air because, you know, people in the lodge who couldn't go to church still wanted to watch the service and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't even remember what started this, this tangent. But, uh, yeah, no, it's... Yeah, life's, well, that, that life's was one funny. Of the reasons, yeah, There's why, no plan, right? <laughs> yeah. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because it seems like you're one of those those rare people who follows their interest and on the surface, it seems like it works out for you. You know, like yeah. when I reached out to you originally, it's like, okay, here's, here's a guy who has a, a pretty successful photography career now branching into videography and gets a CBC documentary off the rip pilot's license, like oh, all the rest of this sort of stuff. And I'm sure there's lots behind the scenes, obviously that, that we don't see and things that you've tried that haven't gone well or whatever. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting because I think, I think we're moving into an age where more of that is going to come. Uh, I was reading a book by um, Martha Beck, who was my life coach uh, teacher way back in the day. Um, and she was saying uh, in this book that her kids were going to school and rather than none of them wanted to be like professionals, right? They didn't yeah. want to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer where it's like you yeah. have to follow a specific path. And she said, one of the things that I talked to them about was create your own major because the job that you will likely do probably doesn't exist yet. You know, like yeah. when we went to school, YouTuber wasn't a career and, <laughs> no. and now it can be, you know, Google, Google wasn't even a word when we were in school, Dave, come yeah. on. Well, it was just starting when we were, when I was in college. Um, I'm old. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's one of those things. So like, what, what has that been like for you just sort of having a life following your interest and, and where has it gone well and where has it maybe not and taught you something? I think a lot of it just comes down to feeling like it, it's, I'm pretty whole ass on anything I kind of get into and it's, it, it can change too. I'm not like totally stringent. I was huge into playing guitar in high school and was in a band and we recorded a CD and all that stuff. Just, you know, I learned how to use a digital multi-tracker just to, to record the, the CD in our, in my parents' basement. Um, and then put my siblings to work burning 100, 100 DVD or uh, CDRs. But uh, no, it, if if I think it just comes down to personal attitude, right? Like if if you're happy doing what you're doing, you can always find a way to make it work. There's you know for whatever crazy thing you come up with or product or idea, odds are there are a lot of other people that will be very very much interested in that. It's just about also having patience to take the time to flush it out and make it work and realizing that most of the time there isn't that instant click luck factor that 
you're going to explode and this is the new thing and blah, blah, blah. But, but t taking the time. So, I mean, with the video thing and getting the documentary, I, in the last year, I videotaped a funeral. Um, I videotaped a 40th anniversary party. So there, there's never any shame in doing the things to make the other thing work. Um, you know, if you're, you're invested in it and you're, you're excited about it, it's not work. You're, you're going out to play. Like it's not this daunting task. It's not some stupid career you've had for years. It's just, yeah, you're plodding along and figuring things out as they go. You know, it's like with all things, a lot of time it is kind of feast or famine. So it's, it's being able to have the ability and the, the time and the wherewithal to, to find those opportunities that you can say yes to and, and just building on those. Cause you meet people. And I mean, like in any industry, everything is all who, you know, basically, and, and going out and doing a good job and not being an asshole. Um, that's, that's 99% of it. It's just, yeah, trudging along and being gracious for what you get and, and not blaming other people for things not working the way you want them to. Um, I, I think we all kind of get stuck on that a lot where it's like, why isn't this working for me? You know, it's working so well for them. So they must have something and blah, blah, blah. It's never, you know, okay. They've been doing this for five or six years. This isn't instant success. It's not, not wake up one morning and Hey, everything's great and perfect and everything works, but yeah, it's taking so, time. So what, is, what does your self-talk look like in the, you mentioned times of feast or famine, which I think any creative knows about, but in those times of famine, what does your self-talk look like to motivate yourself either to pivot or to keep going or, or anything like that? I think a lot of it is just, I I've, come to realize the short-sightedness of how we kind of treat life is what gets us, right? So you're sitting there and you're like, shit, I haven't worked for two weeks. You know, my next booked thing isn't for another two weeks. Like, what am I doing wrong? What's, what's happening? Where have I failed? Like, what can I pursue? What hustle do I have to do to make this work? But then all of a sudden, a week later, you book five or six gigs. So, so it's learning that when, when things are slow they continue to still move like things are still happening. And, and I think if you go into that frantic panic mode, that's where things start to fall apart, fall apart. That's where, where people tend to get stressed out. They get burnt out. They're, they're scared. They're frantic. They're, you know, doing deep discounts on things and cheapening what they do. Um, so yeah, it's just that, that patience and realizing that it doesn't take long for a week to go by and a lot can change in a week. You know, the, the things I expected, a year ago for now are completely different and they've gone a complete different direction, right? Like it's wake up and see. <laughs> yeah. do, do you, do you think that, um, because you do photography, you do videography, like you, you sort of cast a wide net. Was that sort of done on purpose to hedge your bets or was that just because you found interest in those things? It, it was more finding interest. I mean, doing video stuff for years and years and years, like when the 5D, Canon 5D Mark II came out, you know, I instantly had to have it because it did video stuff. I did probably two things with it, with video, and that was the end of it. I bought another camera at another point with the intention. So, I mean, it, this has been going on for two decades. This is not a, not a new thing. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden over COVID where I had time, there was a, a Blackmagic 4K camera that came available on one of the camera sale groups I'm part of. And it was such a sweetheart of a deal. I was like, damn, I got to get this. And, and it just coincided really well with a, a local lady. She 
called me up. She ran a uh, an organization which basically does horseback riding with with disabled kids. And she's like, hey, we're redoing our website. We need new photos. And I started talking to her about maybe doing some video stuff. I'm like, well, you know, I've been kind of dipping my toe in here. And and as a first client who was just like, yeah, we'll pay for it. Like it was, it was, it was fantastic. So I mean, pulled the trigger on buying that that black magic camera. And all of a sudden I had a tool that was so much better than anything I ever used in college or across the years. And it was easy to use with my lenses I already had, you know, and it, it was all kind of cobbled together and pieces like my, my camera rig, shoulder rigs with video cameras is a big deal. You know, everybody's got their brand. I like this one. I like that one. Mine is put together, I think with four different companies pieces, like some of the screw holes don't even line up, but I just jammed the screws in there tighter so it doesn't fall apart. Um, yeah, I know it's been a slow thing where it's just, yeah, get the pieces, find the pieces that work. You know, of course I'm sitting here lusting over $10,000 video cameras. I realize they will make me no better at what I do. You know, so much of anything is just the actual story and emotion and, and everything, you know, making it pretty is just, just a bonus factor, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You said something in there that, that sort of jumped out at to me. It's like finding the pieces and obviously you meant about your shoulder rig, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think, do you think, you know, you grew up a preacher's kid and uh, you had mentioned in, in the notes that you had sent me that that made you a good talker uh, doing Never. that, doing, doing the, you know, do, having the band, making the CD, going, going through all of these things, taking the multimedia course. Were you ever collecting these pieces intentionally or was this just moving forward through your life? And it was then- just moving forward. That's just how it all kind of played out. And it's kind of me and my wife just talk a lot and. One of the things we've mentioned a few times, it's like, if you could go back and change something in your life, like anything, good, bad, indifferent, would you do it? So even if it was the worst thing in the world that ever happened to you, whatever that was still got you to this exact moment in life. And it's like, would you be willing to change the entire tangent of your life and the people that you know and love that are also part of your life? Their tangents would be all completely different as well. Like, is that, would you do it? Is it, is it something that you would you would actually go back and change. And it's like, well, huh, no, no, I wouldn't. Does that mean I might be reading into this here? So you can tell me where I'm off base if I am, but (laughs) do you, do you live without regret? Generally speaking, I think so. That's a really healthy thing that I think not a lot of, a lot of people (laughs) live with a lot of regret. I think were you always that way or did that just happen in your, I I would say most of my life, like I was always, just optimistic and happy-go-lucky and what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Falling off roofs and out of trees and yeah, I'll go do it again. Yeah. Um, what was it like growing up in the church? I mean, not horrible. I have no like bad stories or anything weird. Oh, yeah, like this, it was, yeah, no, it was, you. I'm just curious. No, <laughs> I mean, there's in Winnipeg, it was one thing because we were living in the city. I lived in, or we were in Winnipeg till I was 10 um, yeah, you went to the church and then there was the church people and your parents still talked to or saw them, some of the folks during the week, but otherwise most of the congregation, they were off doing their, doing their own thing. Once we, once we moved to small town, Manitoba, so going from Winnipeg to a town of, I think it was 1600 people, it's a whole different ball of wax. Cause we were now three and a half hours away from Winnipeg, little town in the middle of nowhere. It's not like you could just go to pizza hut and grab a pizza. Um, yeah, it was, it was isolated, but everybody knew everybody. So I, I don't know if it was, I can't say it was ever 
you know, inherently implied, but it was like, you're, you got to be good now because everybody's watching you and it's such a, no, I mean, my parents were pretty good in the sense of just letting me be myself within reason. Um, I always had very early curfews till I think halfway through grade 12, but yeah, it was just, yeah. It was life. That's all I knew. I don't know. I I have no 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 bearing. My my family quit going to church when we were were six years I mean, old because my it, my sisters would fight every time we got home from church. My parents were like this isn't worth it anymore. I mean, in some senses, it, it was amazing, and it's going to sound awful, but I mean, the amount of funeral sandwiches I ate growing up because my dad would come home with trays, and mm-hmm. I mean, in a small town, he was doing like forty five or fifty funerals a year on top of on top of everything else. So. Yeah, I mean, they. My dad was busy. My mom didn't go back to work. I think till I was probably fifteen or so. So, but yeah, yeah. No, it what's, was. What's your relationship with faith now, if you don't mind my asking? I'd say I'm pretty agnostic. Like I think there's probably something, maybe, hopefully, but nothing. Doesn't nothing doesn't drive definitive. you every day. Yeah. No. Yeah. I figure when I when I die, it'll be like going to sleep. <laughs> Fair Just enough. Won't wake up tomorrow. So. <laughs> so. One of the books that you had mentioned that has has helped you a lot was the Daily Stoic, and I'm I'm curious what it was this about one? that. Yeah, there, 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 there. And, and and Stoicism <clears throat> is something that I've you know obviously uh, following other uh, podcasters, authors, you know. So it's like Stoicism yeah. is one of those things where it, it pops up from time to time. I would say, and this is completely unempirical evidence, but I would say traditionally in male spaces. Um, so I'm curious how you came about it and then how it's helped you. And if there's like a gem of wisdom you could pass on from it. So the way I ended up with this book was uh, actually my good buddy, Shane. He's a, a, a PhD in psycho robotics or something like that. Psycho robotics. Um, yeah. <laughs> the coolest, he, the coolest well, thing ever. <laughs> if, if you ever watched the show, How I Met Your Mother, my, my buddy Shane is basically the Barney Stinson of my life. He's just, <laughs> I don't know what he does, but somehow he, He's always yeah traveling places and doing stuff, but uh, yeah. So he he gave me this book for was it my thirty ninth birthday or my fortieth? Can't remember a birthday mm-hmm. or maybe it was Christmas. I don't remember. Doesn't matter. Um, he gave me that book and uh, ba- basically his his reasoning for giving it to me. It's not something I ever sought out or anything like that. It was and you can talk to Jess about this too. I mean, I'm pretty level ninety nine percent of the time. Like for me to get pissed off, mad, angry takes a lot and it's the one end of the spectrum otherwise i mean in terms of being depressed or having depressive feelings or anxiety is very rare like i I couldn't even tell you the last time like even on a down day it's it i've never laid in bed all day because i feel shitty about life and myself and everything like it's it's never been a thing in in my headspace so it's yeah i don't know he's he basically said he's like you're you're the even keel, so here's some here's some studying. I'm like okay, and I mean it's yeah it 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 just became part of the routine after he gave it to me. I, every morning I'm down um, making coffee and feeding the kids and stuff like that. Yeah, sit here and drink my coffee and read the day's passage. Some are hilarious, some apply greatly, some I skip because it's just like I found this doesn't fit in my life or I can't see how it fits in my life and just flip the page, but. Fair enough. I don't know. That's interesting. Do you, so you don't feel the downs at least very often or for very long. What about the ups? They're, they're sporadic too. Like, I mean, most of the time there, there's genuine feelings of happiness. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not just, I'm 
dead ass robot, you know, sitting in the backyard. We sit in the backyard a lot and I work my, the reason I go to work is so I can sit in my backyard and hang mm. out with my wife and my kids. Um, but yeah, there's still genuine happiness looking up in the trees and the sun is shining. Like, it's not like I'm just like, Mer. um, but big, big happy moments. I mean, they come, I, I figure if I'm hitting one or two a year, that seems reasonable. Like I don't need this two, three, four day week long, like bah, euphoric moment, you know, booking the documentary. I was super pumped for a day. And then I realized I had a shitload of work to do. Um, so it was good. I was happy. I've been happy through the whole thing, but yeah, it's, I'm not, not seeking specific big happy moments, if that makes sense. They, they happen when they happen. It's kind of mm -hmm. like the best parties. You can't make every party be the best party. They just happen because the right ingredients are there and they occur, right? Like it's trying to force things never does anybody any good. So it's just like a state of being open. Yeah. If you want to be happy, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking alive. Like it's how so cool simple. is that? <laughs> so, okay. You, you mentioned the reason why you work is so you can sit in the backyard with your, with your wife and your kids. Does, is that, and this this might be too broad of a question, but I'm just curious because I'm following my interest. Uh, there we go. Is, is that, is that your definition of success? Like, do you strive for something or is, is it just sort of like you go through and what happens happens? I mean, I guess there's, there's striving in the sense of trying to maintain enough to maintain the, the life we want to live. Um, I mean, no, nothing specific, like, I must hit this target or quota to, to, to make that happen. But yeah, I mean, roof over the head, yard to go sit in, happy kids, music. What more do you need? Like it's, it, it's not a steep request in the sense that it, it helps me not hustle. Like, don't get me started on the whole concept of hustling. I want to get um, you started on the oh whole concept God. of hustling. Get, <laughs> lay it um, down. This is the space for it. Because I am also notoriously anti-hustle culture. So, <laughs> But I mean, it's, it's, it's learning to work when you work. So, I mean, I'm very routine oriented in the sense that if it's a work day and my plan is to work, you know, it's up with the kids to, to make them lunches and make them breakfast. And then they're off on the school bus at 8.35 or whatever it is. And then... I'm at my desk and I work basically till 1030. That's when I take my break and go check my mail. And then I come back and work till about 130. And then I go do the dishes and then work till about three and then come three o'clock. It's I'm done. I'm, I, I'm not somebody who works into the evening. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with my, my body's innate ability to have a very strict sleep schedule. So, I mean, even yesterday, had a had a 14 hour wedding day and got to sleep last night at about 20 after one at 6 15 it was like wide awake and i was like okay and i tried to go back to sleep like i cannot once i'm awake i like the brain turns on and it's just go but yeah it's just i forgot what i was talking about i don't know <laughs> we're talking about hustle culture oh yeah hustle culture yeah. right right <laughs> see that i blocked it from my mind i didn't that's how how far i wanted to run away yeah, I, I feel like I feel like culturally there is a shift away from it right now. I think I think the 2010s are sort of defined by hustle culture and the yeah. grind and everybody having, you know, you have to monetize your hobbies and you have to do all the rest of this and the explosion of Etsy and, and, and all the rest. I think the pandemic both helped and 
hindered that in some way. Um, yeah. A lot of people lost their livelihoods, so side hustles became main hustles. And, yep. you know, they were grateful for that. But I think it also made a lot of people um, slowed down and take stock. The number of extroverts that I found that became introverts over the yeah. <laughs> over the course of the pandemic because they realized that they had just been going for the sake of going. Well, you forget you 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 forget what you're doing. It becomes your routine, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's we're having that time to slow down every day. Like, I do not unless I'm shooting. Of course, I'll go shoot and do whatever in the evenings, but I'm not not editing weddings. I'm not doing engagement sessions or like editing engagement sessions. Like that time is done. My brain is cooked by that point. Cause I've been staring at histograms for, you know, basically a eight hours straight, but that focused work time is focused work time. You know, I might take a, st- a, a just a minute to let my eyes rest every five minutes and look around or whatever. But that is my goal. If the kids are at school and Jess is, is doing whatever she's doing, this is what we're doing now. So, I mean, it, it's also, I think created that discipline where you know how stupidly fast I can edit. Um, I, I was watching the the demo uh, the other day, and uh, yeah, in the time I watched, I think the latter half of the live, I called through a two thousand shot engagement session and and color corrected two hundred and ninety photos and and had them uploaded and delivered to the client before I think Angie had even imported the the photos into Lightroom. So. Yeah, for for those who haven't watched the live or have no idea what Jake is talking Sorry. about, <laughs> comparing myself to the to to the robot. Yeah, um, uh, Angie Nelson did a, a live in in one of our Facebook groups where uh, she was showing how she uses this AI tool after shoot, and I think it was like twenty one minutes long or something like that. And she called and started editing, which for a lot of people, oh, hundred percent, is no, like no, ma- I, I, magical. Not not everybody has the fast fingers of, of I, Mr. I, I would love here. to hook my brain up to to a machine and and just see it go when when that's going on because it's just yeah it's it's definitely i think it's definitely a superpower of yours and i've seen you 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 know post in in threads and stuff like that how fast you do it people are always like how show me teach me <laughs> i don't and i, I don't I did know a call what with you dave do Faye. with a teachable skill <laughs> no it's not <laughs> when i did when i did the call with dave Faye, he's like so the answer is just work faster i'm like yeah yeah, just, just go faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like having this conversation. <laughs> you you are wired in a very different way than a lot of people. You know, like the way that you live without regret, the way that you can just sit down and have these work hours, the way that you are even keeled, and and all of the rest of that. Like, I'm hearing all of this and being like, yeah, this is why I read so many books and listen to so many. I want to get to that place. Like, I, I, I am. I am the person who does lie in bed all day and have depressive episodes. And I think and, and I've read three books in the last last two decades, Dave. I'm, yeah. I'm a bad book person. That's all right. Not everybody's <laughs> a book person. Uh, but, but I mean, I do it trying to get to where you are, and you're yeah. already there. So I mean, I think I think a lot of the time too, backyard. Say say even if Jess is off in the city at school or shopping or whatever, if I'm just hanging out there by myself listening to music. You know, I'll sit some of the time and doom scroll on Facebook or whatever, but it's, it's, I know when to stop. I, mm-hmm. I become aware, like, I've been staring at this for like fucking 15 minutes and nothing has happened. Like, I've come back to the top and started again. Um, but then it's a lot of self reflection time. So just analyze, self, self analyzing the day that was, like, what occurred and what, what went wrong and what was good and relationship 
things and 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 all that good stuff i don't know yeah it's uh, I, I spend a lot of time talking to the old old self in the head and yeah Damn. i don't know yeah be, be, before these things came around i did that a lot uh, mm-hmm. a lot more you know like um i used to get bored and make stuff yeah and now uh, I have I have ADHD, uh, which seems like ninety percent of the population these days has ADHD. But I mean, for me, it's always I'm just trying to find interest, and my phone gives that interest right away. But yeah. it used to be I could just get bored and you know go out into my garage and make something mm-hmm. or write a note or just sit there and self reflect or, yeah. or whatever and watch dust float in the sun. Yeah, absolutely. Like I used to be the kid, like when I lived in the UK um, for a couple of years, um, I would ride the bus to work every day. And thankfully this was pre iPhone days, um, which probably was a big help, but like I would just ride the bus, listen to music and stare out the window. And it was such a great time. Like I actually look back on those bus rides so fondly because it was just so simple and allowed me to connect with myself and music and think and everything. And like now it's like, oh, I've got a a podcast or an audio book going or, you know, I'm doom scrolling TikTok or I'm looking at Facebook for the 18th time, even though I have no interest (laughs) in looking at Facebook, you know, and it's like it was just it was such a different experience and like i would love to be able to get back to that place but like i think the only way to do that is to you know lock the phone up like one of the things i've been i've been playing around with and want to try more is digital free sundays where it's like no computer no laptop no phone no anything else like that Mm -hmm. like the, the phone can be on and in the house i will if somebody calls me i'll get the notification on my watch or whatever but just like turn off because i need that time to be bored again I think my only benefit to my laptop is I've got so many hard drives and shit running into it that for me to disconnect this thing to actually go use it as a computer anywhere else is so hard. So it just lives on my desk, even yeah. though it's a portable computer. Because yeah, it's just it's too much work. Like I don't need it. I, I like having a laptop because one of the things I've realized recently is leaving my house and going and sitting in a, a coffee shop or a diner or something like that for two or three hours is helpful. I am so productive to do all the things that I wouldn't do at home, like yeah. emails or, you know, writing a document, you know, whatever, because I don't have a million distractions. Mm-hmm. And I'm in sort of there, there's so much going on in the environment that that's enough for my brain to be like, there's so many shiny things focus. going on that we can focus on this. Yeah. <laughs> this do the one. thing you're here for. Yeah. And I mean, like I'll whip through 30 emails in you know, half an hour at a coffee shop. But if I try to do that at home, that'll take me all day. Yeah. No, actually, me and, me and Jess have talked about this a few times where it's she will, you know, if we're trying to sit in the yard and relax, her her focus will drift to the things that are not complete yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've come to realize in my head, everything is very itemized on a list. Every, everything, the honeydew list, it's it's all in there. And Jess will attest to how much I love to be reminded about things. That will just get your shit knocked down the list. Um, but it, it it all equates to like, you know, is something in, is somebody in risk or is there danger? You know, and it just itemizes down from that where, where she will always be drifting. And it's, yeah, no, if you can find that ability to actually focus in, like that's, that's half the battle. Yeah, Headphones help is. a lot. Headphones help a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I live by my AirPods on noise canceling mode. Um, how, how do you prioritize? Because I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with, right? Like as, as 
as an entrepreneur, the to-do list, to list is always 100 items long. So where do you start? Like, how do you make the choice of make the what list. to do next? <laughs> um, I mean, a, a lot of it comes down to time sensitivity of things, right? There's things that need to be dealt with today. There's things that can be dealt with tomorrow. There's things that really don't matter till next Tuesday. There's mm-hmm. things that are in there, but they're not something in the near future. So yeah, it's floating around in there and there's still thought to it, but it's not up here. It doesn't need to be here. I don't need to think about it. It can be that thing that comes later. So I, I don't even, it's not even like a conscious item as itemization of things. It's just, yeah, it's what, what needs now, what I I'm here now, what needs now? Mm-hmm. Um, not what needs 20 minutes from now when my kids home come home from school and one of them's crying and you know, something happened and you can't plan for that. Yeah. It's you're just trying to over plan for things that you have no control over whatsoever. Like where, what is the point? Where's your time going? I, I think for a lot of the people that I work with, I think they do try to plan, you know, not even just 20 minutes out, but two years out, things like that, you know, because yeah. they have that, they have that strive, you know, that this is where I, I want to be, you know, like they'll, they'll launch a new project or, or have their new business or, you know, a, a, a podcast. This is something that I used to, to do, which I'm getting better at. You know, I would launch a project and I would already envision, oh, this is the what it's going to be like in yeah. two years when I'm, you know, I've got my own recording studio for this and I'm people, I'm flying people in and I'm doing whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm interviewing Conan. Yeah, exactly. But because of that, it makes the priority list get completely out of whack because instead of doing what, what I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense of like, do what you have to do now to move forward in the next step. You're, you're leapfrogging and you're like, okay, but if I get, if I get, you know, 10,000 Instagram followers, then I'll have more clout to be able to, you know, get such and such a guest. Yeah. So I have to focus on Instagram right now rather than, and, and I see this with, with photographers and creatives and stuff a lot where, the day-to-day of their business falls apart because they're so busy trying to be seen. I got to get here. I got to get there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not sure. Like, I mean, even like in terms of being an artist, like it's neither myself or Jess, like we've we've never sat down and like, oh, we're we're artists. Like, um, no, it's, it's. Do you see it as a job? Like, is it like for you looking at photography, is it a creative outlet or is this like the job that puts food on your family's table or is it both? I don't know. All of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't feel I take the best photos. I don't feel I am the best editor. Um, There's days where I feel really great about myself and like, holy shit, that's a really great photo. But, but it's not like my, my ego is crushed because I'm not on the top of a list somewhere as the top 25 under 25 when I was 25. Um, that was a long time ago. But, you know, it's, I've never, I, I sit here actually with, at my desk with this picture of myself as like a, how old am I in here? A year, barely a year old, just over a year. I mean, that's the only person I have to impress is my one-year-old self in a box because that box was probably really fucking cool at the time. Um, outside of that, like, I mean, I've never sought awards. I really don't care. You know, it's, it's, I think when you're making something for other people, they're the ones that are important. You know, I, I'm more, more touched by an email from 
a bride or something, you know, you made me feel amazing or made me realize I'm amazing. Like it's, it's that stuff is way more than more important than winning a fearless photographer award. Like I just, I don't know. It's keep the there's got to be some stock into those awards. Like, like I have no idea because I like, I am so disconnected from the actual industry. I do not know who is a cool wedding photographer right now. Like, my the list in my head is <clears throat> is from like 2010. <laughs> yeah. So are half of them even shooting anymore? Like I have no idea. Yeah. So it's I, yeah. I, it's, I wonder if part of that is like the way we look at music, right? Because like all the photographers that I still in my head think of like these are the these are the these are the people who are doing things. Were all yeah. the people who were doing things when I was coming up. Just like all the bands that I still love for the most part <laughs> were the bands like, you know, you get a foo fighter shirt on, you know, it's like yeah. that sort of thing. I wonder if that's like I don't know. I've never done any research into this, but like I wonder if there's a part of like our brains that like when we're I think when, we get stuck. Yeah. So I mean So what I, stops you from getting stuck? No, I'm still stuck. Like, okay. and, and not stuck. I, I mean, we we get molded, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think we have those formidable years from like 15 to 25. If if you're not in a stressful situation where you know there's food scarcity, or you don't have a home, or you're from a broken family, if you're a stable-ish teenager into into a young adult, I, I really honestly wonder how much the music of that 10 years actually shapes who you become or the music you're into. Right. So, I mean, I think back to the stuff we were listening to in that era and it's like, okay, those things are still in music repeats itself generationally. And so, I mean, it's a whole lost thing, but yeah, no, you, you attach to those things. And I, I, I honestly wonder like how much do they actually end up molding your brain into where you can kind of, or where you kind of continue on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm doing this podcast and, and having these conversations with people is, the concept of, of molding us and, and, and how much of that happens early versus how much is changeable later on. Like one of the things that I do is try to find new music all the time, you know, like yeah. I, I fucking love Spotify because it constantly <laughs> suggests new artists to me that I never mm-hmm. would have come across. Like, uh, I know I'm, I'm late to the game. If, if you're out there in your twenties, especially if you're a, 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 a a woman in your twenties, it feels like this is the core demographic, but Noah Khan, like I have fallen in love with this guy's music. And, and he recently released an extended version of his latest album. And like this transcendental experience yeah. for me listening to this. And this is some, you know, 26 year old guy from Vermont. Um, and I'm so grateful that I never would have come across his music if it wasn't for Spotify and TikTok. And I'm like, Oh, this is music. I never would have listened to yeah. when I was oh, music. 15, music's 16. huge. Like COVID that's how, for the first at least, you know, six months of what 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 the fuck is going on, that's how we survived. Like at one point I went through all of Apple's radio stations and, and we did full like while we are awake today, we we do the the French station and the next day we're doing the Spanish station. And the next day we're doing doing the Argentinian station. And and yeah, no, it's it's I think music's just one of those things where if you're not afraid of it, it cultures together right because you realize the similarities and and the emotion and and all that stuff yeah do you do you feel like as a as a photographer and a filmmaker have there been influences outside of those genres so let's say music or movies or or i guess not movies but music or books or people or anything else like that that have have shaped the way that you create 
Am I allowed to talk about movies? Or was you that talk, off the office? You could, you could talk about movies. Yes. I was just thinking, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just thinking sort of like outside of the, the, the genre. But I mean, if there are movies that helped you, like I, I'm a photographer or have, was a photographer and Roger Deakins, like the way that he does cinematography shapes a lot of the ways that I look at light. So it's, I mean, there's of course going to be relationals. Yeah, I guess, I mean, in, in sense of that, like my, my whole love affair with, with backlighting initially was all due to the movie slackers. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Um, it's a horrible movie from like 1999. <laughs> and during this scene, I mean, it's an Ace of Base song being played at the same time, but just this gorgeous backlight shot. And, I watched that movie probably 15 times, but always at that shot, it was like, damn, don't see that much. So, I mean, when we kind of got into the weddings and engagement, it was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this because the idea of backlighting for a lot of people at the time was a terrifying, like, why the fuck would you do that? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, a lot of people too, when we started, we're still shooting film. So it's not the same as it is now where there's like a lot of conscious effort into pushing and pulling film where you're still scanning and still digitally manipulating. It was, yeah, you're shooting with film flash in the shade because that was safe. You know, you're not, not burning $2 per shot, hoping that your backlit sunny shot worked out. Whereas with digital, it was like, I could take 4,000 photos and if six turn out right on, like it's yeah, perfect. Tick the box. I got the, got the thing I was going for. So yeah. I don't know. Anything, I think there's a, yeah. the, it goes back to the failure thing, right? There's a fear of failure. Whereas well, if you're willing to try stuff, that's, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you say you're working with a client. So with us, with engagement sessions, it, there's been lots of times where I've said to people straight up, I'm like, I'm going to try something. You may never see these photos. And they're like, okay. And nobody cares. Cause. Which I for, think is a really interesting thing because we, we did the same. And I've talked to other photographers about it, and they're terrified of the concept of uh, uh, of shooting something and the clients not getting it. Like I remember back when we we taught workshops and things like that, and we would say the same thing. You know, it's yeah. like we, we'll tell our clients, "Hey, we're going to go figure something out for five minutes, talk amongst yourselves, and then we'll come back and do it if it works." Yeah. And they're like, "Don't they ask for those photos?" And I'm like, "No, no they don't. They don't they're remember. not going to remember." <laughs> <laughs> but there's this like I think I think it ties into that fear of failure is that fear of embarrassment, right? That we just assume that so many other people are thinking about us all the time, and the best advice I ever got is you people money, don't think about well, they no, don't think about people, you. If people are giving you money, they already think you're good at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They they are not afraid of that factor. Like that is so self imposed that yeah, oh, they're they're judging me. Yeah, no, they booked you. So they probably trust you. Like, what, what? What's why? Why do we have to be afraid of it? I think. I mean, why? Why do we have to be afraid of it? I mean, that, that's that's somewhere out there in some you know psychology or philosophy class. They're trying to figure that out. But I, I think I think it's all self imposed, right? Like, I, I think the fear of failure, the fear of of making mistakes, it's not an external thing like i think yeah. we, we i think we attribute it to external factors like i don't want to screw this up because i'm afraid of the way that other people will look at me and we put that outward but it's really i'm afraid of the way that they will look at me not they're going to be they're going to tell me i'm dumb no 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 yeah. i'm afraid that they might tell me i'm dumb so because of that i'm not going to try but but i honestly wonder like in terms of of the the creative 
visual industries, how much it's not even a fear of the client isn't going to like it. It's, it's fear of, oh, my industry peers are going to look at me as somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. But again, you were the one that hired. So nobody knows what you were trying to do. Yeah. Like there's, we, we tr- seem to think that everybody knows exactly what is going on. And like, I, you know exactly what I'm thinking about right now, Dave, don't you like, right? Um, that's, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, th- I think that's, I think that's true sort of across industries, you know, but especially in the creative industry, like I see people shit talking styles or yeah. trends or whatever out there. And, and I often think, you know, no, no, I mean, like I've you done it too. Have, yeah, we all do it. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I'm guilty of it for sure. Oh, I, I try not to do it now because I'm conscious of it, but it's like, I probably back, you know, back when I, I used to shit on, you know, there was a style of photography for, I don't know if it's still around. I don't look at other photographers anymore, which has been really great. Um, but there was a style where like everything was super desaturated and Brown, um, and it was super popular and lots oh, yeah. of people were getting paid a crap ton of money for doing it and good for them. Like yeah. my, my whatever. inability to see the, the, the joy or whatever, the, the goodness in that style didn't take away from the fact that people were getting paid really good money to do it. And I and think you were still that, getting booked to do what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, we're so afraid of, of how we're going to be perceived by so many external factors that like whether it's our clients or whether it's ourselves or whether it's our industry peers or whether it's our parents, you know, whomever, you know, like and when we start, when I started photography, my dad was like, you'll never make money in this. And then once we started making money, all of a sudden, Look he, what was I cut, did. he was cut. Well, no, he was cutting out every like newspaper clipping about oh, photography. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, now that I was getting an income, he it was, that's <laughs> he was a whole other, I'll, t- I'll bring that to my therapist, but, but, but we, we make all of these decisions oftentimes because of external factors. And so to, to drive this back into your journey, uh, you, you had, you had brought up, um, two teachers in your past, uh, mm-hmm. Ms. Ms. Zarn and, and Greg Sherris. Was, was there anything about working with them? Because the things you said about them, um, you know, Ms. Zarn telling you it's okay to let your freak flag fly. And then, uh, Sherris for work ethic and figuring out shit when it goes wrong. Like, I think those are great lessons mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with, I mean, I guess letting your freak flag fry, fly is like doing shit in spite of others, almost like not worrying. And, and about I how was, they feel. I, I was that kid. Like yeah. I, you know, being this minister's kid in a small town, one of my paper clients, I, I delivered newspapers starting at age ten, and had a hellish paper route where I picked up newspapers and then had to walk about two kilometers out of town to start my route. So I mean, imagine a ten-year-old with a snowsuit in the winter in Manitoba, in Manitoba. where the wind is blowing <laughs> seventy-five kilometers an hour um yeah no it, it you was, actually it was can tell your building. kids you walked through the snow uphill <laughs> <Yeah>. both ways <laughs> it was we lived in a valley <laughs> but i forgot what i was talking about um oh yeah freak flag. Freak flag. Yeah. yeah um yeah so basically she was a young teacher so she was i think was pretty much straight out of out of, out of teaching school um drama teacher and english teacher so i i is horrible of a speller as i am I still do not know my vowel sounds. You can ask Jess and ask my children who I've tried to teach how to spell words. Dad, how do you spell this? And then I'm like, I, fuck, it, it's horrible. I also grew up in the time of spell checkers, so it was it was great. But uh, yeah, no, love English. So as as an English teacher, she lots of 
good writing assignment. It's like super, super, super easy to talk to. I think it, it became more of a, a peer kind of feeling than a teacher student feeling. Um, but she was also the drama teacher. And as a, I would have been, I guess, about 14 at the time and, you know, angsty and I dyed my hair green and all that good stuff, listening to Nirvana and being, being in my head, a punk kid in a small town, um, never doing anything bad because everybody knew everybody. So there was just no point. There's only one kid in town with green hair. So who's it going to be? But, uh, yeah, no, she, she was a teacher that also, I think, saw my ability in the attempt or in the in the sense of not being manipulative, but potentially having that ability where I can get people riled up to do something very, very quickly. Um, so she came up with this plan one day. She's like, okay, you know the video stuff. You're going to bring a camera. We're going to hide it in the classroom. I'm going to come in. I'm going to be somewhat mean to you and you're going to fly off the fucking handle. Get as many kids to come with you to the library as possible. In the span of, I think it was three or four minutes, I staged a full walkout of my classroom to the library. And then we came back and showed people the tape and and talked about it. And, but it, it was somebody showing you that, yeah, you can do bad stuff very, very quickly. And, and it's, yeah, nobody's born bad. You, it's, it's, neglect it's it's all the shit things that turn people that way right it's so having somebody like that who then pushed me to take one of the leading roles in this this dinner theater that we put on for the small town where i cross-dressed and at age 14 in a small town full of farm folk i'm like whatever i'll wear a mini skirt and stuff my shirt like whatever it's yeah it's fun we're going to play like People are paying money to come see this. Like, it's it's a good time. Yeah. Does that influence the way you parent at all? In terms of just letting open... your kids let their freak flags fly, like I mean, honestly, it's 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 anything in life, right? Like, if what you're doing in in your life and your personal choices, if it's not harming or affecting anybody else in any way, what the fuck's the problem? I agree. However, however, it, it, well, I mean, it just seems it seems like today, which I don't necessarily agree with this take, but I see it a lot that people feel affected or feel put upon by so many different things. You mentioned, you know, cross-dressing and there's all this stuff going on with drag yeah. bands and, and, and all the rest of that now. I have a trans I think family complete... member. Sorry, say that again. I have a trans family member. Yeah. How, like this... What was that like for you and your family? I mean, pers- I can only talk to, to to myself personally. Sure. I mean, there was no, there there was friction, of course, in the family. But outside of that, like on my side of things, it's my biggest issue. I have a horrible time with names. The number of times I forgot the bride and groom's names yesterday at the wedding I was shooting is almost embarrassing. Um, so so for me, I very much associate like click to click is a memory, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to change names was was a very difficult thing and there was never any ill will it's not like it's just this is how i picture this memory in my head it was that person at that time you know the fact that the identity has changed now that's great i will call you by the way you want to be identified mm-hmm. that's not an issue but those memories you know how do i you know they're just so ingrained where it's it's difficult to be like 
switch and be like, okay, gotta check, you know, click that around and the name has changed. But no, I mean, as a family, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it was a change, but that's, People nothing change. changed. Yeah. All, all, all the memories of life are all the same. Nothing, nothing was different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely feel the same way. Like I've, I've had friends transition and, and no one, no one directly in my family, but people were close to me and it's just like, okay, different, Whatever. different pronouns. No problem. Yep. Different name. No problem. Let's just, let's just carry on and, and yep. move forward. Um, is there anywhere that you, you personally, uh, like, I feel like you're a millennial. I'm a millennial. We're yeah, in this like barely. weird. Yeah. We're, we're, we're almost <laughs> Gen X. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I see so many of these things being generational issues, right? Like the more that mm-hmm. I, I you, you look at LGBTQ issues, indigenous issues, uh, you know, people of color, all the rest of this for the most part, um, I look at, you know, kids, your, your kids age or, or, you know, people who are teenagers, early twenties, like it's such a non-issue for them because they, no, grew they up could in care a world. less. Yeah. They could just totally care Whatever. less. Is, was there anything that was hard for you as you grew up of like, I just don't, I don't see this. I don't get it. Not that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's just mostly because my parents were were cool with me just kind of doing what I wanted to do. So I'd like dyeing my hair and doing crazy spiky hair and stuff, which was very very abnormal for the place we lived. But I mean, compared well, to for, any other for a church family, like that's and, probably and the not, church family. Yeah, but I mean, I was still strove to not be an asshole. Like I still talked to everybody. You know, Melita, the town I lived in, was the town where you just waved to everybody as they drove by, and it's not like I wasn't waving to everybody. Like, just because my outward appearance was different, like, there was no, I'm still the same, same stupid kid that didn't have green hair yesterday. Like, it's, I, one time in grade eight, decided I was going to shave my head. Uh, I went home from school at lunch and bicked it down to nothing. Um, Just because I wanted to see what people would do. Um, So, yeah, I was always the kind of outlandish one and just trying stuff, going for reaction, just to... (laughs) laugh at people <laughs> it's like really you're there was girls in my class in grade eight who tried to start a petition that i had to wear a hat at school <laughs> i was just it gonna was... ask like was there any pushback to 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 that behavior because if you were the one that was on the fringe oftentimes like there's pushback against different yeah like... it was it, well, i mean it was stupid stuff like that where it's sure. like yeah this is never gonna go anywhere but yeah i mean i think i was still able to maintain the person I was regardless of the negativity especially because it was self-imposed I, I was always cognizant of that fact it's kind of kind of like I am one of those people with hangovers where there there is very little self-pity I chose to do this this is my doing I still have kids to feed you know stuff like that like it's yeah you made the choice to do it being a being a whiner about it later is yeah you're like <laughs> It's, it's unbelievable how chill you are about so many things. Like I, I hear all of these things. Like I, I'm the worst with a hangover. It's one of the the main reasons why I don't drink a lot uh, anymore. Yeah. Is is not because I don't enjoy alcohol or, or or anything, and I don't have a problem with it. It's just because I don't do hangover as well. Yeah. Like 
I am the worst with a hangover. And so no. I don't drink so that I don't impose that version of myself on my wife or anybody else. Cause it's like, you just don't want to be around me when I have a hangover. I'm like, I'm the man. Well, it's, guy. it's even like stupid drunk promises. I will keep every stupid drunk promise I ever made in my life. hundred percent. If you know, if, if I told you I was going to do something, I will tomorrow when I feel shitty, I will still show up and, I told you I'd come shovel. You'll probably still be in bed, but I'll be, <laughs> I'll be there to help. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, people need to study you for for psychology <laughs> textbooks. <laughs> it's just you just you seem to have your, have your head on straight. It's, it's just, I don't know. Overreaction to anything is dumb. Like it's that's I, I, yeah. I completely agree. I, I think overreaction is dumb, but it is so it's so easy for most people i don't want to say most people it's so easy but is it for one of those people. things that has come more so now than it was when we were kids like do you can you can you think back to being a kid and be like no you know people didn't didn't freak out as much but no i think people always freaked out yeah it's I always mean, been the same yeah i mean you think about like the 80s when you know me growing up i don't remember this directly i remember it sort of secondhand looking back yeah but like you know the aids epidemic and the 80s and the whole princess die thing and and the way that people looked at at gay people at that time and how it was completely ridiculous like i feel like as a society we always have something that we look weird upon yeah Clearly, clearly drag wasn't a problem 40 years ago because look at every metal band in the 80s, (laughs) right? Like glam rock was a full thing. And exactly. But like now it's this complete sin because we have to have something to latch on to be outraged about. I I think the thing that I realize now is, you know, this too shall pass, which is a very privileged thing, I think, to 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 be able to say, because I'm not on the I'm not on the receiving end of that. You know, I, I will I will go to a, a protest or I will stand up for my friends or, or whatever, but I'm not directly affected by a lot of these things. I'm a I'm a white guy in Canada. Most Middle things go well guys. for me. Yeah, <laughs> most most things go well for me. And, and I mean, even like when I when I started identifying as as non-binary, like most people, they don't. I, I look that cis. Mean? Yeah, <laughs> but but I looked like most people are like, sure, Dave, like you're yeah. you're a white guy with a beard. You're not out there wearing a, a skirt. And like I would I'd paint my nails or do whatever. And people are like, that's weird. I'm like, why is that weird? Like, it's, you're it's, the only one who's weird about it. But that's the most pushback I've ever gotten. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I don't I don't understand it, but I've never actually had to be affected by it either. Well, I mean, it's it, I don't think honestly, a lot of us in our day to day are running around thinking about our gender or, or identifying ourselves. Right. Like it's it's just kind of a weird concept to be like in most day to day thought. I don't really ever think, oh, it's good to be a man. Like, it, I don't know. There's we're we're all people like it's. I I've thought about my gender a lot because I've never identified with most male experiences. Like I can look back all the way to like early teens and remember thinking like, I don't get guys. Like I just don't, I don't, I don't, I played sports because my dad wanted yeah. me to play sports, but I never really cared for that. I never really cared for traditional masculinity or, no. or anything, anything my, like my, that. My father-in-law makes fun of my pink hands all the time. Yeah. But it's like, I, I remember like my parents at the time, like asking me if I was gay because I had feminine traits. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I am as straight as they come. I love women. I think they're wonderful. Um, but 
I had femininity. And so at the time that was attributed to homosexuality. Yeah. Now less so. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but oh yeah, you had you had mentioned like thinking about our gender. I was like, I did. I spent a lot of my time thinking yeah. of my gender. Like that was the one and, thing. And I mean that, I that in the sense to. of actually agreeing with what you you completely yeah. just said. Like it's just I don't know. I don't Yeah. Not, yeah. not out there fighting in the streets, right? It's just <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think proving it. I think some people out there have to prove it, and I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, I was at a, a conference recently, and um, there's this uh, wonderful woman, Tennille Campbell, who's First Nations, um, and she was talking a lot about, you know, her her mission right now is photographing Indigenous joy, because so much of the way that her have people you seen have the been mermaid presented. stuff or the mermaid yeah, yeah. stuff. The, oh my god, that's yeah, so yeah. good. That, I saw it on my Facebook feed because <laughs> of her. Like she she was posting it. And I just thought that was so great. But it would like it really struck me that from a media perspective, oftentimes when we're showcasing or showing these things, it's not from a place of joy. You know, it's like indigenous we all people take are ourselves suffering. too fucking seriously. But yeah. Of course. But of course we do. Because we're like everything is so compartmentalized, right? Like I, I feel like for, for somebody who, you know, is fighting, you know, there's the whole, uh, the, the missing, um, indigenous women. I can't remember the acronym for the life of me right now, but like they have to take themselves seriously because they're oh, literally getting murdered. Yeah. Um, drag people, people, people in drag or trans people or things like that right now. Like they have to take themselves seriously. I, I think, I think you and I, you know, in, in our, in our privileged seats, we have the opportunity to show our kids and show other people like, Hey, they get like, we're going to stand up for you to take yourself seriously, but then we can yeah. show our communities. Like, well, it's not, actually, isn't that a bad thing? Even my, my daughter, right. She, she came home with a joke that a friend had told her and it was very derogatory towards trans people. But mm. as it was said, you wouldn't understand that unless you understood the context so so trying to explain to a seven-year-old like you can't tell this joke to people it's it's not nice to people like i know we can't explain to you why right now but that's something you shouldn't repeat yeah. like that's and i think well i mean we you probably the same way like as a kid in the 80s late 80s 90s or oh, early 90s it was the worst it was the, the worst shit we used to yeah. talk and say and it's like okay i yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah, it's it's one thing I'm grateful for about myself is during the whole, you know, political correctness movement and now into, you know, woke or whatever they want to call it, you know, just being a good fucking person is generally how I look at it. Like, don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. If, if somebody else comes along and says, you know, this word is offensive, I just go, OK, great. Scratch it from the lexicon. Move on. Like that costs yeah. me nothing. The, the R word uh, retard. Um, that was, that was just such a common word growing up. Like that was, like was just dude. Exactly. Like it was yeah. so, it was so nothing. And then it was maybe 10 years ago. So I had said it in conversation and someone's like, Hey, by the way, this is why that's offensive. And I go noted. I will never say that again. Well, I mean, you even watch episodes of the office from 2012 where they're still being like, Oh, you're being so gay. Like that mm. was still a joke. And that was nine years ago. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. So there has been movement. There has but... been, and there is movement. But like, my father is a very old school, you know, is Brit- British Navy, grew, yeah. you know, grew up in a coal mining town. And he and I have these conversations quite often where I'm just like, hey, that's not, that's not okay. And yeah. he's like, well, why is but it why? not okay? It was okay in my day. And I'm like, <laughs> we're still in your day. You are still alive. But 
it is not okay anymore. And I have to explain nope. it to him and, and go through that. And thankfully <laughs> my dad changed. is really patient with it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I'm really grateful for myself and, and the people that I surround myself with. Um, you know, I, I think they're one of the reasons why I have such great friendships with men is because I surround myself with other men who also don't get caught up in, you know, gender norms and things like that. And, and just like, are just people first. Well, and I think a lot, a lot of it comes down to just people have lost the ability to actually sit down and talk. Um, we don't agree on everything. There's been times where we're sending messages to each other. And at the end of it, it's like, most people would be like, mm, friendship's over. Like it's, it's done. Like there was some cliff, some, some whatever moment, but I mean, the next day it's like, or a week later, how's it going, Dave? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, it's okay to be not or not be, but not agree with people. Like there's been times where you've quite honestly said in your head, go fuck yourself, Jake. And I've said in my head, go fuck yourself, Dave. But that isn't then the end. Mm-hmm. Everybody's so focused on always having an end. There needs to be a conclusion. Whereas if you actually sit down and talk and agree that it's okay to sometimes not agree, and that is fine. And yeah. if it's something that's not super important, you just leave it there and move on. Yeah. This, this actually happened really to recently. Talk. <laughs> we had a, we had this totally like minor to the grand scheme of the world, but like this weird contentious issue that was going on with a couple of friends. Um, and one of them had come over the other night and just as like everybody was leaving, I'm like, Hey, do you mind holding back a sec? Cause my wife, Abby and I had talked about this a lot. Um, and I'm just like, Hey, like I need to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And we had this probably, you know, 30 minute intense conversation. It wasn't an argument because we all sort of like were just there for it. Yeah. And at the end, we all realized that like there's no conclusion to this. No. Like this is like it's you still feel the way that you feel. I still feel the way that we feel. But we all felt better by having the conversation. And Abby well, was saying afterwards, she's you gotta like, have context. Yeah. But she was saying afterwards, like, I don't think I've ever had that kind of conversation with a friend ever. She's like, I've yeah. had that conversation with you, my spouse, and with like family members, but I don't think I've ever had that intense of a of a conversation with a friend that I'm like, oh, I have those all the time. Like it is like it is I will not be friends with someone if they are not willing to go to that place. Well, it's if it's a fear of being uncomfortable and and people don't want to be uncomfortable, right? So everything's always sunshine and rainbows and all that good stuff. But I know like in the relationships I've sought out in my life, so I mean be it you, be it Cole, be it my buddy Shane, whoever it is, my wife. Um, like honestly, if I had to go to a deserted island and only take one person, I'm taking my wife. Like we can have fun anywhere. We have had fun everywhere. Um but ah, oh, damn it, I had a good point and I lost it. Um but you <laughs> you gotta be gotta be uncomfortable sometimes and and yeah, not not afraid to actually be mad at the person, but listen to what they are talking about and and reflect on what they're talking about. Like I think so often we come up against things people say to us and that just becomes a wall. That 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 is the be all end all. There's not okay, but what actually encouraged that comment or or that thing. And is it something I can deal with or or help deal with without exploding things and yelling and shouting and taking it so personally that 
it's an attack on the person I am and you're, you're done. Yeah. I, I think there's this, like, there's this desire to surround ourselves with people who agree with us on all fronts. Um, you know, uh, I've said I've said it for years. I'm I'm about as left as they come on the political spectrum, <laughs> like. But the left, the left eats their young. You know. Yeah. They, it's like if you're not, if you're trans accepting, feminist, socialist, anti capitalist, vegan, you're not left enough. You know, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the 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 right side of the political, political spectrum is like, if you're here, you're good. Like we just we just want you on this you side. Hear? That's you're making yeah. you're making you're that vote. You're making that vote. You're good, you know. And, it, and it, but I think, you know, it, it's just this interesting thing. It, I don't want to stay on politics too long because it makes me angry. No, I know. But um, <laughs> that this concept that like I think people in general will surround themselves with 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 almost an echo chamber. Like the number of people who I have seen like who have unfriended me on Facebook because yeah. I have a take on one topic that is different. That's just yeah. like oh. Really? That's, that's it. That's all it took. Oh, that was the point I was trying to get to. Was it was eventually taking taking that back to to the relationships you actually develop or or foster, right? My my biggest thing in life is do not waste my time. That is all I have. I do not care how rich I am. If I'm poor and destitute, all I have is time. Um because eventually I'll probably starve to death. Um so so finding people that even in those disagreement moments they're still, they're willing to take the time to actually reflect on what you said as you reflect on what they said to, to work through things or realize things are just not worth talking about. And, and there's nothing wrong with not talking about some things sometimes, you know, if it's depending on the relationship you with that you have with the person. Um, yeah, no. So, okay. To tie, <laughs> to, to throw this back. To, <laughs> Sorry, that, no, that no, no. circled back a long but, time later. But, but no, but it did. It, it made me think about something that you had said earlier about, you know, you, you had mentioned, you know, doing the things to make the other thing work, like doing mm-hmm. the shooting, the, the funerals to, to make the, the documentary happen or something else like that. So where is, it seems like you have this level of patience in your professional life that may be slightly disconnected from your personal life where you don't want other people to waste your time how do how do you look at the slow burn of a business with a with a level of patience that i think i think a lot of people don't have right like they want to be successful now they don't want to be successful a year from now well i think even those personal relationships the patience it's it's still there like i mean it's like anything right like any new friend is essentially like dating somebody um it it I think the good relationships, the good friendships, like, I mean, it's no different. It kind of circles back to even the whole gate situation. I can say I love another guy as a person, as somebody who supports me, as somebody I support. It's not sex. Everybody's so confused with what people are doing in the damn bedroom. Like, who the fuck cares? Like, it's okay to love other people. And 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 it's not a scary thing. It's, it's what makes the world go because if people are supporting and concerned and empathetic and all that good stuff, that's how shit goes forward. If you're afraid and think everybody's out to get you. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that testing period and the trial period. Like I met you on the side of a road in Vancouver. Um, what are we here now? Seven years later, there was that feeling out period there. There is that immediate when you meet somebody new, friend, spouse, couple, whatever, there's an excitement. It's like, oh shit, 
your shit jives with my shit. We should, we should hang out more. Um, we should talk more. Like it, it's feeling through that. And then eventually, you know, there's always things that bubble to the surface. So as you get to know somebody, all of a sudden, now you can talk about politics because you've known each other for more than 10 minutes on the side of a street in Vancouver. Generally, we agree on a lot of things. So it's, that's, that's kind of a null point. But, you know, that's where those things eventually surface. Right. But those good relationships are the people that even if you don't necessarily agree with their thing, as long as it doesn't outwardly affect some group or some person, it's okay to have that thing. As long as it's not a thing they're trying to drop on top of you all the time. And it's always that thing that you always have to talk about and circle back to. And what, all what do you do stuff. in a situation like that? If, if somebody, if somebody is constantly trying to drive you down a specific topic or, or whatever, how do you react? Honestly, I just eventually just stop talking to them. If it, mm-hmm. if it gets to a point where it's just not worth my time, it just fizzles, fizzles out and die. It, it's those things that kind of, I think it's never like an ultimate be all end all blowout fight end of friendship thing. It's just something that fizzles. The yeah. communication dies yeah. and it just, yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of how I take it. Like if, yeah. if, if it's, if it's impossible to see eye to eye on something or whatever, I'm just going to stop reaching out and eventually yeah. one of us will get the hint and we'll move on. I think a lot of people are really hesitant to do that. Like I talk, are scared to lose friends. Oh, like it's terrifying. a terrifying concept because yeah. it's hard like, to make friends as an adult too. <laughs> oh, it's weird. Yeah. But I got big into uh, to minimalism maybe about a decade ago, uh, reading books and stripped everything out of my house. And one of the concepts of minimalism was also minimalize the the relationships you have, like mm-hmm. literally have friendectomies if somebody is, yeah. is, is not beneficial to your life yeah. and everything else. And at the time, I'm like, oh, man, this is so cutthroat. Uh, because I didn't know I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser, but at that time I wanted everybody to like me. That was a big part of, of who I was as a person. And so not being liked by slighting somebody, like I would literally sit and have hours long conversations with people whose, whose beliefs were abhorrent to me because I yeah. didn't want them to dislike me and reading through that process. I was like, Oh, this doesn't have to be, I don't have to be like, we are not friends anymore. Like I just have to, it's not, over. Yeah. I just have to not talk to them anymore. And it, no. it's like, I needed that guidance to, to get there. And I think there's plenty of people who are just like, how do I end a relationship? You know, it's like, you just, quite you can, honestly, you, you don't have to, it yeah. just, that's, that's the natural progression. Cause obviously if, if you're feeling frustrated, odds are they are too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're, you're just breaking up with them on random over text. Right. Like, I don't like you anymore. Um, so, so, I mean, I think a lot of the time it's just a natural thing that happens. And I think that's where alcohol affects a lot of people. I'm not, I'm not a drunk texter, generally speaking, but people reach back out like, how you doing? Or Christmas, you know, or, or some holiday. And mm-hmm. it's like, why? If it's somebody you haven't talked to, especially if it was somebody that was a actual like direct friend, not just an acquaintance or somebody, you know, from your past, if you're, if you're trying to end that relationship or you feel it needs to end, re, reigniting that at these random moments is, is the worst thing you can ever do. We're, we're so afraid to just tear off that Band-Aid and be like, okay, I'm just – it's done. Like the communication is over. We need to stop. I can't do it. I need to delete the contact, that kind of thing. Because, yeah, I mean we, we, we all do it eventually. 
Yeah, I was, I was talking about this with a friend a while ago, and I said, are you still friends with everybody you went to high school with? And they're like, no. I'm like, what happened? Oh, we just drifted apart. I'm like, let that happen. Because we were having this exact <laughs> conversation with like, they had this friend who just, I'm like, I really don't like them, but they blah. I'm just like, just let it drift, man. Mm-hmm. Like, take a couple I, of days to respond back to the text message. Say you can't come to the barbecue, whatever. And eventually it will just drift. And you don't even have to reply. Yeah. Like, I think so many of us in those those kind of moments are so afraid to just be kind of mean about it and mm-hmm. just not reply. And just it's because you're digging your own your own grave. You're just digging yourself back into the whole cyclical thing of it. If if you actually do reply. Yeah. OK, I, I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, this is my first opportunity talking to you uh, since you got to do the documentary. So I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you a little bit about. Can we, can we take a pee break? Yeah, we could definitely take a pee break. <laughs> can we pause for a second? Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Jess brought me a beer, but I might have to just kind of fill a can under my desk here. <laughs> yeah, we we'll took a pee break and we'll be back. Okay. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> so. A. How did the CBC documentary come about? And B, what was it like? What was that process like doing? I mean, I feel doing, like if, doing you're, a thing? if you're Canadian working for the CBC, it has this like, it's like, oh, you've done it now. You've worked for the CBC. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would say that, that that was definitely a bucket list thing. I grew up in a household with three channels and whatever mom and dad were watching was what I watched and whatever was on the radio in the car growing up was CBC. Um, so I grew up watching documentaries. Like even now, editing photos is a lot easier to watch stuff. So it's it's always documentaries, generally speaking. Or, I mean, that changed to to more watching YouTube videos to to learn stuff for for the whole video thing. Um, so yeah, getting getting to that point was yeah the the working with that that one organization with the the disabled kids with the the horseback riding. It was like I I, I like this. It was different in the sense, I think, with weddings, often you're just looked at the person that should be in control. Like, if you're the wedding photographer, you're steering the ship, which is great. I have no problem steering the ship. I've done it fucking 600, 700 times. Nothing phases me. I'm not afraid to go shoot a wedding. It's commonplace. I No, no, it's it's habit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know the functions of it. Which is not a bad thing. I still enjoy it. I still love people. Like it's not. It's not like I'm phoning it in on a wedding day. It's it's still looking to try to find moments. I I, I summarize it as hunting essentially. Like I'm out there with my seventy to two hundred, just stalking people, trying to to nail things down. But with with the video stuff, I think with age too, it came to a point where you realize with weddings you're affecting, you know potentially the 200 guests that were there they might see your work otherwise you're just directly affecting the the bride and groom essentially in the wedding party and mom and dad which is good you're you're having an impact on on a couple lives and and showing them that they threw one hell of an of a, of an event and and people had fun and and the day was great and and they got married and all that good stuff but maybe it comes down to legacy and and, and wanting to have some sort of further impact on the world like i think one of the most impactful moments in my life and this is going back to like 1996 in air cadets we used to volunteer at bingo at the legion 
every week we would sell snacks and bingo cards and basically get inundated by secondhand smoke in a basement. And it, it was great. But, you know, of, of the people I hung out with, I've never been somebody when it comes to women, you know, I'm not somebody who pursues anybody. It's, it's something that happens. You know, you suddenly connect pinkies. I'm not somebody who's doing grand gestures of anything. Um, but uh, I stole stole her journal and and read one page, and it was her list of guys from town. And I was number two, and, and my, my reason why I was number two was a rebel without a cause. So it was like, oh, damn, okay, no. And tying that back to the, the class where trying to get the kids to join me in the library, it's, you know, you want to take the things you're able to do and hopefully roll them into something good. So, I mean, if I can eventually get to the point with shooting documentaries or something like that, and I love documentaries, um, to, to shoot something that causes people to think differently, right? Like it's, it's wanting to leave something behind that makes the world better. And I mean, I get to do that every day. I've got two kids that think I'm fucking cool. Like that's, that's great. My son's almost 10. Like he should be getting to the age where parents are kind of passe and blase. Yeah. I'm only talking quiet because he's in the other room. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it it's, yeah, trying to, it, it's just like with chess, pursuing school. It's, it's trying to take what we have available and, and trying to do something to directly or indirectly help other people and just leave the neighborhood better than we found it. You know, it's the, the whole pack out all your garbage when you go hiking. Don't be the dickhead that leaves your granola bar wrappers because you're just making it worse for everybody. So you were a rebel without a cause. Do you feel like you have a cause now? I have no cause. <laughs> <laughs> I just sit at home and listen to Rage Against the Machine and try to come up with one. Is doing more documentary filmmaking something that you're trying to pursue now? Indirectly. If it happens, it happens. Um, I know you had that personal project you were doing for a while. Um, yeah, the, the the YouTube project. And I mean, that was one of those things. I, I don't feel it was a failure. It was something I attempted to do because I had time to do it at the time. But then to make the other pieces move, it was shooting a funeral instead of doing a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't care about if people know who I am. You know, it's it's if you do a good job and, and you're nice to people, that's where the work comes from people want to work with you they will seek you out and and pay you to work for them it's be nice don't be an asshole it's it's not <laughs> that's how you can basically summarize everything right like it's yeah it's it's not hard i mean i feel I like don't, i don't know i feel <laughs> like that's a that's a great that's a great that's a great <laughs> capstone for, for this whole conversation i mean it's you, you said it a couple of times and you had said it in your notes to me it's just like just don't be an asshole um, you know, actually, I, I have a very good traffic analogy for this. So, so in terms of the whole hustle culture, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But um, if if you look at traffic, you know, there are the people in the world that we perceive as lucky. They they get a free ride. They get to the point where they get. We have people that push and try to get to where they are going, and we have people that flow with the way things are going, and we have people that will take a complete detour and and never get there 
the lucky people, so say for example, the asshole that cuts you off in traffic, he manages or she manages to hit the green light and the next green light and the next green light and the next green light. Those are your lucky people. Outside of that, you have the people that are hustling. They're the people that are weaving in and out of traffic, potentially killing other people, hurting other people. Eventually you catch up to them at the next stop sign, even though you've just gone with the flow of things and felt things out and changed lanes when you needed to change lanes. So it, it's very structured. The people that are going to push, they're going to push and sometimes win. Most of the times they're not. They're going to get in an accident. They're going to end up at a red light right beside you. Slow down. Like this, we, we try so hard to go and go and go, and it's just you're never going to get there. Or you're going to get there at the same time. Like it's you choose how to get there. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I think I was a hustler for a long time and then became a non-hustler because I realized that hustling is basically just a choice of what you're sacrificing. Like every, yeah. everybody's got to sacrifice something. Uh, I, yeah. was, I was big into um, the the fire movement for a while, the financial independence, retire early until I started, this is something that I do whenever I make a decision in my life and I'm like, this is a path I'm going to go forward. I research the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I researched both sides of it. And so I started looking at like for people who achieved fire, um, why did you regret it? Or like what went wrong or, or whatever. And the thing that I kept seeing is there was all of these people who had gotten to a point of financial independence, you know, they're, an expat in Thailand or whatever, and they'll never have to work a day in their life yep. again without fail. I mean, I would say probably 95% plus of these people had no relationships. They had no friends. Yep. They had no family. They, yep. they had put everything into this. And I just went, yep. Nope, that's not for me. Backed <laughs> no. off of it immediately. And just went like, <laughs> that's the, that's not the choice that I'd be willing no. to make. And I think like, a lot of people don't make these in formed decisions when they make decisions you know they're just like i want this thing i'm gonna go for it and then sort of like snap into reality a year or two later down the road this is was me you know like our we had our wedding photography business and we were we hit the ground running hard we were speaking at conferences and shooting around the world and doing all the rest of this and then we came home one time and we're like when was the last time we got invited to a birthday party? When was the last time we saw these <laughs> friends? When was the last time we did anything like that? Yeah. That wasn't work. We did not go on a vacation for 10 years. That wasn't a work trip. Well, I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even, even our honeymoon, we shot a wedding. <laughs> so our honeymoon, it was 10 years late, but there was no work. Yeah. But it was just one of those things that we realized that, you know, I wasn't being an asshole to the world. I was being an asshole to myself. However, if, if you take into account too, all of the other flexibility that comes with that. So, I mean, if I decide not to work at all tomorrow, the only person that, I mean, it doesn't benefit is myself, but it's, it's accepting that I need a day off and that's okay. Mm -hmm. The work will still be there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a routine to do the work otherwise, it doesn't become this big scary pile of, oh my God, I have so much to do. We're, we're generally 
half-assing it most of the time where it's just, you know, while we're doing the work, we're not really doing the work. And I mean, that's the biggest fear, I think, of every wage-based or hourly wage-based employer, right? You're paying people to work. They have no vested interest to work other than the paycheck and not getting yelled at. You know, if, if we give people the option to actually be part of profit making and stuff like that, and I won't even keep going because this is long, long, another hour long chat, but <laughs> finish the thought, at least finish the thought. That was a good trailing off point. No, but I mean, there's no vested interest, right? Like if we, we expect people, I think, as entrepreneurs to be invested in us, but if the rest of the way the world works doesn't have that vested interest in the people that are working for them or the the, the companies hiring wage-based employees, it's, yeah, nobody is ever going to be happy because most people are just slogging through their eight hours to go hang out on the weekend. There's no no incentive to work. There's no other than personal morals and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's if, if you don't want to be there, you're not going to work. You know, it's it's finding your your place where you want to be and wanting to be there. Then it's not work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's it, there's that old, there's that old <laughs> adage of of you know love what you do and you don't work a day in your life. I always I always think that that's kind of a little bullshit. It's it's love what you do and you accept the suffering that comes along with it because nothing is perfect. And, and most of the time, it shouldn't be suffering. Like. We, uh, I think especially with the arts and visual arts and any sort of arts job, you know, the starving artist, like it's such a, maybe that's changed now with, with different generations. But I mean, for us growing up, it was, that was the concept. If you were an artist, you didn't have a real job. You were probably, you know, barely making rent and, and could barely afford to eat. But, but I think that's still the case for people who aren't willing to accept the suffering that that comes along with marketing now. You know, whether your marketing is networking or your marketing is social yeah. media or your marketing is whatever for, you know, for a lot of the people that I worked with as a coach, that was the piece that they could never wrap their head around. They'd like, I just want to create, I just want to go take photos, make dresses, do this, do that, the other thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're going to run a business, the part, the suffering part, the part that sucks, the shit sandwich you got to eat is running <laughs> yeah. the business yeah. and we can do things to make that easier but that's the piece that's like nothing comes with you, you can't you can't have sun, sun without the night. You know, it's like everything <laughs> comes with a downside. It's just are you willing to accept that downside yeah. and, and hopefully minimize it so it's not miserable? Like I'm, I'm not a creature of suffering. I love joy. Um, but I also understand that, you know, I love doing this podcast. The suffering for me is like doing the editing afterwards and then creating the TikTok videos and the reels and doing all the rest of that. I don't want to do that. But I'm willing to accept it because I love doing this part of it, you yeah. know, and so it's worth the pain. Yeah, it's worth the pain. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, they want to do the weekend. They want to sit in the backyard. They want to have the boat to go fishing or, or or do whatever. And so the suffering they accept is the nine to five. Yeah. You know, it's which which is a larger percentage of your life. It's absolutely. But we can't all be entrepreneurs. Um, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> to, to 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 a certain scale yes like i really believe in entrepreneurship um as somebody who was an engineer and lived the office life and had a cubicle and all the rest of that like i've seen the other side of it and it has its mm -hmm. pros and cons uh for sure um and in my dark nights of the soul with entrepreneurship i'm always like maybe i should just go get a job and then i really remember what that was like um, there's so many days where i wake up where it's like oh man 
somebody else to tell me what to do and I just go do it. How nice would that be? Yeah. And then they they give me money. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, but I mean, I, I I think, you know, it's ultimately a, a, you have to accept whatever the suffering is going to be. And entrepreneurship is not just all beauty and joy all the time, but neither is a desk job. I think it's expectations too, in the sense, like you think, for example, you know, working a nine to five hourly job, uh, versus somebody who shoots a family session per week for five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. like the, the number of out you're basically covering half a minimum wage job with a one hour shoot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we we need to look at the expectations in the sense that I should be making this or I should be should be getting this many bookings per week. But when you actually compare it to a normal person, it's like oh, it's not so bad. Like. It's normal. I just have way more time to sit around and think about it. Yeah. Instead but, of actually just working. Yeah. And, and there's the other side of, you know, the, the people who are like, okay, you know, I have to accept the business as the shit sandwich that I eat. And so they start going and diving down that road. And I, I don't know if this is the same with, with other creative industries, but, you know, in the photography industry, it became that six figure number and everything else. And people, people are starting to think that they're a failure if they're not at that point, yeah. because that's where do you live? What's, yeah, what's that's the, the education that they see is like, oh, I have to be making this. And and to so, live in San Francisco in a small box, yes, you do. Yeah, absolutely. But if you live, to live in, in Winnipeg, <laughs> maybe not. Oh. You know, it, and and so it's it's all about perspective, and it's all about really understanding everything that you're going through, and not you know compare and despair. I, I think is 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 a lot of of, of why why people suffer is <laughs> because they're not actually looking at their own situation and their own needs and their own everything else like that. They're they're seeing others success and saying why don't i have that but we're just seeing a highlight reel you know this is this has always been my biggest complaint with social media is we see everybody else's highlight reel and we compare it to our behind the scenes and we're like Mm -hmm. oh well they're just doing amazing all the things yeah but then like when i'm like oh i'm gonna rail against that and like post something you know shitty that's going on in my life immediately it's like it's just seen so weird people are like why would you post that or like are you okay and i was like no i'm just trying to give perspective this is not mm-hmm. like this is obviously not the place for, for, for perspective um but yeah i it's it's what i mean the- it's it's well and it's having the ability to just finally put something out there and yeah. unabashedly post it and not really care what other people think it's what you needed to do and yeah yeah might delete later but whatever it's yeah it's it mean it ties back to what we're talking about with that sort of feel of fear of failure being an external thing like if you have something that you want to say just say it if you have one something that you want to create just create it um within reason obviously don't harm don't harm others i'm not (laughs) um but like don't don't do something or not do something because of other people do it because you feel like this is something that you're interested in or something that you think is beautiful or something that you feel like has merit to be out in the world. Um, I was listening to another podcast recently and um, uh, the person was saying, you know, I I put this thing out on Instagram thinking that everybody will just love this, you know, Mm -hmm. and they didn't. And it it, it took a life of its own. It's one of those things like it went viral, but they weren't expecting it to go viral. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and they eventually had to like turn the comments off to like protect their own mental well-being. And it's just like, yeah, that's social media. Mm-hmm. It's fine. 
that's you know learned a lesson they moved on from it everything else like that it didn't stop them from the process it just like they had to take a step back and and check and that's okay that's not a failure it's it's an iteration it's a change it's a growth moment yep yeah but don't be the person that leaves asshole comments on other social media stuff (laughs) because god damn it that's why i was on tiktok for like six months (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then i got off tiktok I still think, you know, I'm an old man, but TikTok has probably got the best social media algorithm out there for me because, man, it just it, it just oh, serves it, up what I want. It was so confused with me. I was basically either Freedom Convoy or lesbians. <laughs> oh, I'm 100% the, the, on lesbian TikTok. TikTok, yeah. be, TikTok believes I'm a, a, a lesbian between the ages of 25 and 35. And I'm just like, you know what? Eh, good enough. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you having the the time, the, taking the time out to talk with me today. And thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you're one of those guys that I've been wanting to have deeper conversations with, but you live hours <laughs> and hours away, and I don't like the phone. <laughs> so no, I'm me neither. Like, I'm like, this is just a way that it can happen. Like um, for for the amount I talked on it in the '80s, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of the phone now. Yeah, every time too. it rings, it's like, oh god. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't I don't want to get a phone call. It's like text me or email me. <laughs> Uh, but it makes it makes long distance friendships harder. So I appreciate you but taking the it time. It also goes back to my point about uh, yeah, time motivated things. If it's something I need to know, text me and I'll see that I need to know it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, send your love, uh, send my love to Jess. Uh, I will do. And uh, I really appreciate Bye, this. Dave. Thanks so much. That was my interview with Jacob Oldenkamp. Uh, You can find all of his connections, information, websites, everything else like that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. This is the very first episode of So Damn Curious. I'm going to be dropping new episodes every two weeks. I have some really amazing guests coming up. So please tune in, hang out be curious. And if there's something that you would love to talk about, I would love to hear it from you. You can always drop a comment on my socials, uh, just at Dave Moss coach or at so damn curious podcast. And yeah, I'm just really excited for this journey. I'm just going to let this audio be this audio and not try to clean it up. Cause I just want you guys to hear about how excited I am. And sometimes a little vulnerability is good. So thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you all very soon. Thanks.